Now for Raising the Bar, Greater RVA's premier law talk radio show. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. Raising the Bar Legal Talk Radio Show is sponsored and produced by the law firm of Locke & Quinn and brings an exciting and varied array of legal topics to listeners throughout Central Virginia and especially in the greater Richmond area. Once per week, the one-hour interactive radio show features true life stories and cases, legal tips, practical and reliable advice, and information from experts and specialists. The show also includes not just a variety of lawyers, but also doctors, social workers, mental health professionals, executive directors, life care planners, paralegals, and other professionals. The law touches nearly every aspect of daily life, and this show brings both humorous and entertaining stories along with helpful tips, including tips on access to the justice and legal services. Something that not everyone can afford, the show features a wide array of various areas of law, including today's topic, which is what do paralegals do? And joining us this morning, we have Carol Hassett and Katie Obermiller. Carol Hassett is the paralegal for Richard Locke, who we interviewed last week. And Katie Obermiller is the paralegal for um, Colleen Quinn, who is uh, the host of the show. And uh, we'd love to learn a little bit more about you guys. Carol, how long have you been a a paralegal? Um, Probably over 30 years. Okay, (laughs) over 30 years. So how did you get into this? Well, I started in legal field as a secretary about 100 years ago. Um, I had no legal experience. I was promoted to personnel director and then went to college uh, full and part-time to J. Sergeant Reynolds in their paralegal program, and then to University of Richmond. I got my bachelor's in liberal arts, and I've been working for law firms ever since. Okay. And... uh how about you, Katie? Was your path the same? It was not. Um, actually, I, I consider I was more trained on the job. Um, I have a BA in history from William & Mary. Um, after I graduated, I moved out to California for a couple years and then came back, um, needed a job, and decided that I'd take a receptionist job at a law firm while going back to school mm-hmm. um, to maybe work in early childhood education. And while I was working as a receptionist, I was approached by an attorney there who will be nameless, Colleen Quinn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, she offered me uh, a position to start working with her a few times a week. And here I am 10 years later. Wow. Okay. Well, I'll let you, uh, you, you know more about this than <laughs> I do. So I'll let you uh, take it from here. Sure. Thank you, Asher. Um, so basically, we're just going to Carol and I are going to go through common questions about our profession as a paralegal. So, I guess the first question is, what exactly is a paralegal? Well, according to the American Bar Association website, a paralegal or legal assistant is a person qualified by education, training, or work experience who is employed or retained by a lawyer, law office, corporation, governmental agency, or other entity, and who performs specifically delegated substantive legal work for which a lawyer is responsible. And just 
so everyone knows out there, the term paralegal and legal assistant are generally synonymous, same as lawyer and counsel, Mm -hmm. lawyer and attorney. So I think that sometimes people get confused with that, but we won't be insulted if you call us a legal assistant. (laughs) All right, the next question I have is what different types of paralegals are out there? Um, The answer is basically depends on what area of law you're in, um, where you can be either in, as in my case, I work in the area of family law. Katie works primarily in uh, personal injury and employment law. You can work in taxation area, finance, banking, real estate. It also depends on where you work. So you can work in a law firm a government agency, corporation, uh, court system, banks, real estate, titling companies. An example is uh, a corporation like CarMax or, or a bank would have a legal department, and certainly they would need paralegals. Uh, according to the VCU website in their Certificate of Paralegal Study Program, about f- seven out of ten paralegals work for law firms. So the other three... Uh, work in other areas of law. (laughs) So I guess it's safe to say that being a paralegal, you don't necessarily have to work for a law firm. There are other, if if you don't want to work for a law firm, there are other options out there for you. Um, Another question that we commonly get are what types of duties um, do you have as a paralegal? And again, um, this is something that duties can depend um, on the type of or the area of law where you work, um, the type of firm you work for, and the attorney that you work for. Um, You know, some may give you more tasks than others in in different areas, but basically, at least for for me, doing personal, mainly personal injury, um, I start off basically participating in initial client intakes um, initial meeting, getting to know the client, because although, you know, the attorney is the one that has the client, attorney-client relationship, paralegal is, at least in my opinion, essential to maintaining that relationship. Um, so, you know, we, at least for our firm, we like to make sure that the client gets to know the paralegal myself from day one. Um, I do things such as conducting investigation into the case, whether that would be, you know, getting a copy of the traffic ticket, getting photos of accident scene, um, interviewing witnesses, photos of injuries, um, draft correspondence to clients, insurance adjusters, attorneys. There's uh, collecting medical records. That's a big part um, of a paralegal's job, especially one in personal injury, probably, you know, medical malpractice. Um, And you always, you know, I have to stay on top of the clients as far as their injuries and their medical treatment. If you have someone that's treating for a year, year and a half, it's good to check in with them. So you need to, you know, kind of maintain a database as to who to check in with. Um, I'm, you know, then with the medical records, you have to read read through them, make a medical chronology. Um, I don't have a, a, a trained medical background. But after 10 years of reading medical records, you kind of learn what certain things are, what to pull out. Um, 
you know, but again, this depends on your attorney. Sometimes there are law firms that will outsource medical records and they'll actually hire, um, they're like nurses who work in the legal field who will do all that for you. So that's just for us. We do that. Um, so I'm always updating, getting in records, me- medical bills, um, you know, maintaining general contact with the client, drafting legal documents, such as sometimes the lawsuits, discovery requests, motions, other pleadings. Um, and one of the most important jobs that I think at least all paralegals have is maintaining the calendar, not only for yourself, but for your attorney. Um, maintain the calendar to make sure you don't miss any deadlines, especially personal injury statute of limitations. That's the most important thing. Um, so you want, yeah, so, and then trial prep. So I think that's a little bit of duties that I do. Carol, any? The only thing I would add, I do a lot of what Katie has described as far as working with clients and drafting legal documents. And occasionally I have attended hearings with an attorney uh, and helping with the uh, trial, preparing for that trial or hearing, sometimes uh, working with the clients to get them prepared for that. Um, You also want to stay in contact with the client to make sure that they're aware of hearings and right. what they need to do to prepare. Good point. <laughs> um, one one contrast to personal injury in the family law area, there is um, uh, what we call discovery. Well, you actually have it in, in personal injury as well, where opposing uh, counsel will ask for information and documents from your clients. And uh, I do a lot of that, of uh, working with the client to help them understand the information and what they what they need to provide in the documents that they need to collect because sometimes it can be very confusing, mm-hmm. and then I get those together and um, then the attorney meets with them and and that information and documents is shared with the opposing side. So that and and me working with the clients are two big things yeah. that that I would say uh, are very yeah. time consuming. Yeah, and I, just I think I already touched on this a little, but you know. As far as maintaining um, relationship with the client, it's it's just it's really important too for the paralegal, I think, to be there for the client because they're going, you know, in in at least in the cases that I work with, they're going through hardships and they're dealing with things that they've never had to dealt with before, and so it's just nice to have someone there that they can speak with. Um, just because usually I'm in the office more than Colleen, she's. She's busy sometimes in court, so at least I can be a point of contact that they can reach, and then I can say, well, let's let's get you on a call with Colleen. Let's get you set up with a meeting with Colleen. But they at least know that they've got someone there when they need someone. The next question I have is, what are the easiest things about being a paralegal? Uh, and, and from my perspective, from my position, it is providing information to clients, helping them to navigate through a traumatic period in their life, whether it relates to a divorce or a custody action or something uh, related to a marriage issue, um, taking my knowledge and experience and helping them out because they are are uh, dealing with something that possibly they've never gone through in their life before. 
I give the example if you are a first-time home buyer and there you have to get a mortgage and you have to um, arrange for a lot of things to be done before you before you purchase that home and you need somebody to help you navigate that situation and that's what a paralegal does in in the legal situation. Yeah. Um, I'd add one of the easiest things is um, calling the client and telling them that the case is settled. <laughs> um, no, you know, not always that case, but that is a plus when you have a happy client. Always want to have a happy client. Um, another question, kind of the opposite, what's the hardest thing about being a paralegal? Um, this is kind of a hard question <laughs> to answer because everyone's different. Um, I, I think it would definitely be the environment in which we work in. Um, it can be fast-paced, stressful. You're working with deadlines. Um, you know, it, you're, in working in a law firm, you also can work in an area of law that's very labor-intensive, can require overtime, and, you know, basically can be very stressful. <laughs> so you have to be able to deal with that in your own way or figure out ways um, to work with your attorney. Um, do you want to answer the one of are you allowed to give legal advice? I can I can answer that easily. No, absolutely not. <laughs> have you had clients that have asked you to give them legal advice? Yes. Um, in, I think in a, in a way, again, being the first person that kind of the client can communicate with while they're waiting to speak with the attorney is, you know, a lot of times they want an answer. Again, they're navigating something they never dealt with. So they want to know, okay, well, what what's the next step? Well, what does this mean? So I see the letter that you wrote to defense counsel saying you're filing a motion. Um, what is that? How is that going to affect my case? We can't answer that. Um, we, we just cannot give legal advice. So, basically, giving legal advice, it falls under the unauthorized practice of law, um, according to the National Associates of Legal Assistance. Um, there are separate guidelines um, that they provide that legal assistants should do the following to avoid the unauthorized practice of law. Um, you always want to disclose status as a non-attorney. So, I know I hear myself saying a lot, um, well, I can't. I can't give you legal advice as I'm not an attorney. Um, you can not establish the attorney-client relationship or set legal fees. Uh, can't give legal advice. Never encourage or contribute to the unauthorized practice of law. And this was something that I just found out about a year ago. Is that um, under Virginia Code, <laughs> the unauthorized practice of law is considered a Class One misdemeanor offense and is punishable by a fine of not more than $1,000. So that, that well, as soon as I found that out, that definitely made me think, okay, make sure you're not giving legal advice. Um, Carol, I think you can ex maybe explain this a little better than I can. What, what we can ex say to the clients when they call and they want an answer to something, while we can't give them legal advice, we can, we can guide them. Well, there's, there's uh, definitely a line that you yeah. can't cross. And 
What is the most scary to me is when a client says, I'm unable to reach Richard, he's out of the office, can I ask you a question? Because then your radar goes up and you think, okay, I have to be very aware of of, uh, what kind of question might be coming across. Hopefully it's an easy one that I can say, well, I can can tell you how to determine whether a document relates to your discovery responses or whether you're looking at a document that says it's an annuity or it relates to an IRA or or a money market account. But when they start with a question like, uh, my spouse keeps coming in the home while I'm not there, can I lock the doors or can I not lock the doors, but can I change the locks on the doors? That's a question I can't ask. I can't apply uh, the law or or give it legal advice to to their situations. And so I'm very careful about and cognizant of of those kind of things, not only through my experience and on-the-job training. And an attorney will, when you're on the job, they will guide you over the years of explaining what is and is not allowable. But at the same time, if you go through the educational process of taking paralegal uh, studies, and um, you will have ethics classes, and they will be make sure that they drill into your awareness of what what is allowed and not allowed. So um, you learn that uh, various ways. So I guess that would be the best way to explain it, what you just said is that as paralegals, we we cannot apply the law to our responses. So while we can give you, we can give a general answer such as, well, in the past, you know, I've seen this, this has happened, or this is the normal course that a trial, I don't know, what am I trying to say? Well, I'm, a lot of times people will say, does this normally happen? Right. Or what, there we go. Uh, do you always win in these circumstances? I, uh, I am very careful about answering those right. because you literally don't know what the normal is. What can work uh, depends on the facts of the case and, and um, the judge and the judge's decision. So it's, there's a lot of things that go into that. So if you can avoid a, a question about what is normal and what can I expect and let the attorney answer that, you're a lot better off than, than having somebody believe that, oh, Carol said this, and so right. therefore it's going to happen. Right. Or, I mean, a lot of times if, if I, I will preface it as can't give legal advice, um, let me check with Colleen, but um, in, the, in the past, Colleen Wood has done X, Y, Z. Um, if this situation occurs. Or in the past, Colleen has told clients X, Y, Z. So let me check with her and see if that's what she would still say for this situation or something. Um, And then that way you're kind of, you know, trying to help, giving them a little, not advice, but something to go on while they know that you're going to check with Colleen. And I always just go back and double check everything with Colleen so that she knows Exactly what I told them, because like Carol said, you don't want them to come back and say, oh, well, Katie told me this. <laughs> and then it turns out it was legal advice. So I, since I did not go to paralegal school, I'm learning all of this kind of through trial and error and and everything. So it's still kind of a hard, fine line that I think I have, I'm learning every day more and more about. Uh, do we want to move on to our continuing training? Sure. Or... I. 
what about talking a little bit about paralegal certificate or paralegal school versus versus job training? Um, since I, since I didn't go to paralegal school, I don't kn- know much about it. <laughs> well, I think it's a, a very good background to have. Uh, you, as as in my case, I started out in the legal field without having any education and or paralegal experience. But at the same time, the the going to through a paralegal program can uh, give you a, a wide variety of areas of law of uh, what what the law is in uh, circumstances so that you're aware of that. Uh, I mentioned about the ethics class because they're, uh, although a paralegal is not um, going to be um, admonished uh, like an attorney would be if they did something unethical, the attorney is responsible for the paralegal. And as such, you have to um, have to conduct yourself in a certain way. And um, but at, at the same time, it, there is an experience level once you get on the job. Even though you go through college or uh, go through a paralegal program, that you there is experience that you can't learn in a class. That being on the job helps tremendously. The attorney will will even unbeknownst to him or her will teach you things that. Mm-hmm. You don't know, didn't know before, but you learn how to handle. People ask you questions about things that you don't uh, know anything about, but then you're going to ask the attorney, so you learn that way. So there's a lot that you learn both ways, and so I, I recommend it. It doesn't mean that you can't be a paralegal without going through the legal process or the educational process, but I would recommend it to anyone. I would also recommend uh once you become a paralegal to attend seminars, although they're not required unless by your employer, uh, and possibly even joining uh, paralegal associations. They have local ones and national ones as well. And that leads, I guess, into the next uh, next question is, do we need, what type of continued training is needed? Is it needed? Um, as far as I'm aware, I don't believe there is continued training, um, but like Carol was just talking about, there's definitely lots of opportunities to continue learning as far as seminars. Um, you know, there's the VTLA, which is the Virginia Trial Lawyers, Lawyers Association. They also have a membership for legal staff um, that gives you access to their website, um, a paralegal listserv, and opportunities to attend paralegal-only programs, as well as other VTLA seminars. Um, And I will tell you, I've been to um, a number of different seminars, and I definitely always come out learning Mm -hmm. um, things I didn't know, as the law is constantly changing as well. And you need to be on top of that for your client. All right. Um, You are listening to Raising the Bar, and we'll be right back after a quick break. You've been listening to Raising the Bar, Greater Richmond's premier law talk radio show. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 
1366. Now, back to Raising the Bar. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. Welcome back to Raising the Bar. Um, I believe we actually have a call-in with a question, and it's Katie from Richmond. Katie, are you there? Yes. Hello, I'm here. Oh, and you had a a question for us. Thanks for giving us a call. Yeah. So uh, my question is, you were talking about um, sort of the different backgrounds that you both have, um, you know, uh, the education versus sort of just experience in the field. And I was wondering if, you know, a lawyer is looking to hire a paralegal, um, how do they weigh those things? What do you think that they're really looking for? Are they looking for a specific educational background or are they looking for a specific um, type of experience? Um, You know, what are, how, how do they factor that in? That's a good question. Carol. I'll let you take that one because you've got both. (laughs) Well, caller, it really depends on the law firm and and the attorney and the size of their practice, I think, because um, obviously some of it is uh, depending on how familiar they are with what the paralegal actually does as opposed to if they hired an administrative assistant or, or a secretary. Uh, I think that has a lot to do with it. If it's a larger law firm, then they're really going to be focused on the education part of it and the experience and whether the experience applies to the area of law that they, they're looking for. For an example, civil litigation, um, they can use a, a varied background for, for paralegals, but I think it really depends on what the, what the firm wants and Obviously, some of it has to do with how much money they're willing to pay. So, um, but the experience and the and the and the education are going to depend on the size of the firm and what they're looking for for the paralegal to do. Yeah, does that answer your question, Katie? Does that help? <laughs> yeah, no, that's that that really helps. So, so how would you? I mean, if you're you know just looking to break into this field um, and maybe just get some experience, how? What are some ways to do that? Carol. Oh, back to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, as as in my case, I was fortunate enough to have a law firm that was willing to um, hire me because of uh, the fact that I had secretarial experience but no legal experience, and they really didn't require it. Um, so a lot of people can start out as, as more of an administrative person and get on-the-job training. Um I have had this asked of me of classes at J. Sargent Reynolds and University of Richmond of how do you get into the field if you actually don't have any experience, and that is a, that is a tough, part, tough question and a tough thing to do. The, I think the easiest answer is to be willing to do pretty much uh, anything, whether it's starting out as an administrative person or working as an unpaid intern or maybe as a, as a paid summer intern where you're actually helping out in the law office, learning filing, learning um, maybe even as a receptionist, uh, an aide, uh, 
or you know just somebody that's there to help out whether it's to help out a paralegal and an attorney and that you are actually getting some little bit of experience and then you can put that on your resume but um, then it also helps to know someone yeah and, Katie like I I think like I said in the beginning I started out as a receptionist um, for a law firm and just kind of made my way through there um, just Happened upon the opportunity and, you know, thought I'd take a chance. So, like Carol said, I think it, it depends on the firm and um, and all of that. So, And sometimes through your education, you can, uh, one of your professors or they might have some sort of outreach program where they actually connect you with a law firm where you can do a short intern and uh, that's right. And, and yeah, that we, way might open up something. We for definitely you. get um, paralegal interns interns um that come into our firm from i think the is it the j sergeant reynolds paralegal program mm -hmm. um you know so that's a good way so we've got we've got their information on hand if we ever needed one um we could pull one up that we know that we interned with us and worked well with us well great thanks for answering my question all Thank right you for calling thanks katie have a good day you too Oh, and it looks like we have another caller. We've got, I think it's a Rocky from Williamsburg. Rocky, are you there? Yes. Um, I just have a question. Um, my uh, son-in-law, daughter-in-law were rear-ended about six months ago in Williamsburg, and they went through some treatment. And then the insurance agent uh, made an offer that it was really uh, not an offer much at all, but they refused it. So two weeks later, they came back with another offer. The daughter-in-law was okay with it, but uh, her husband was not because they're still having problems from the accident. But he says he's refusing to pay for any more treatment. So I'm just wondering what, what, what would be the next step. Um, I guess it would be a lawyer. I <laughs> 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 um, th yes, that, that, would be a that would be a good one. Um, so the so you so they were both injured, correct? Um, yes, they were both injured, and they were both treated, um, and um, they're still having some residual effects from the accident. And um, you know they've never been through this before, and um, and so um, they're just um, trying to. Now you said I, your I daughter. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I just hear your program in the in the morning sometimes, so I thought I'd give you a call. Yeah. So you said your daughter. It, Wants to accept. I'm sorry, your daughter-in-law wants to accept the settlement, but your son does not. Right. So right. the claims should actually be separate because uh, they're two accidents. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, it's part. the same accident, but two different people. Uh huh. So she <laughs> could settle, and then he could go ahead and uh, take the next step. That's what you're saying. Uh, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. And I can't well, give about your, legal advice. Is there, anybody, is there anybody there that could uh, deal with it? You're definitely welcome to give our firm a call. Um, okay. The attorney I work for, Colleen Quinn, uh, we do yeah. per, we we handle personal injury. Okay. Um, and I can give you the number to our office. Sure. Uh, eight eight zero four two eight five six two five three. I can look her up online because I'm driving. I. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Colleen Quinn, and it's Lock and Quinn in Richmond, Virginia. I'll do that. I'll do that. Um, 
because, you know, time's passing, and I, I know the statute's like a year or something, right? Right. Okay. No, the, I'm sorry. Statute is um, statute limitations for an auto accident in Virginia. It happened in Virginia. Is that correct? Yes, Williamsburg. Okay. It's two years from the date of the accident. Oh, okay. Very not, good. That's not legal so, advice, uh, right, Carol? you have mine. I'll call and help them out because they're up. Uh, they're both refugees in this country, and they're not familiar with anything that works. Understandable. Uh, yeah, that's that's tough. Yeah, they've been granted uh, full asylum, so they have, they're they're legal. Good for them. Uh, Good. Yes. Well, yeah. Their uh, next yeah, the next step would definitely be to give an attorney a call. Um, you know, I've been I've been in an accident before, and and this guy's just coming really low. It's like I you know I I thought I'd try and give it a, a chance to deal with him, but this this. This agent is like, like, you know, like it's his company or something. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> what's appropriate, you know? And they were both injured, so yeah. I'll give a call. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully, we've at least given you a little information, helped you out. Yes. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Rocky. Ah. Uh-huh, bye. 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 All right. One of the right. one of the um, going on to our uh, questions that people ask really often is, do you have any funny stories that you can convey in uh, being a paralegal? Um, I've got, got a few. <laughs> got a few. So, um, I'd say, as far as um, one of the ones I can think of off the top of my head is, we had a few years ago we had a person call, and um. They were interested in filing a lawsuit against the company um, Match.com. And at our firm, what we'll do is uh, when you call in, you'll do an initial intake with um, our uh, intake specialist. Sometimes, um, you know, or sometimes if she's not available to directly get get myself or another paralegal um, and we'll get the general information. But this person called and they wanted to file a lawsuit against Match.com because they had been on two or three first dates with uh, women that they had met on Match, and um, none of the women had wanted to go on a second date. So he wanted to sue them because he was saying that they were not um, following through on their advertising because he hadn't been able to find someone. So, I think that that was one that we were not able to to handle. I'm not sure. Hopefully, he found someone. Can't be responsible for that. Yeah, that's that, that's a little tough. Um, uh, another one, the top of my head, um, we had a client who, and at the initial intake, we always like to we do get somewhat personal because. With a lawsuit, you're you're kind of opening up your entire, to an extent, your entire history. Um, so we like we, we want to know kind of everything about you, your background, um, the good and the bad. And we had asked a, we always ask if you have any prior felonies, anything. And this particular client said um, that they did not. The case went on, and we got into depositions and. Depositions is when uh, a lawsuit has been filed, served, you have a trial date, and the def- the other side 
basically sits down and gets to ask you, your client, a, a bunch of questions about about a, the accident as well as their history. And um, during the deposition, this attorney was asking our client some questions about, uh, you know, felonies and things that he'd been convicted of. And we were kind of caught off guard because as far as we knew, our client told us no felonies. So <laughs> after the deposition, um, we pulled our client aside and said, you know, what? hey, we thought you didn't have any felonies. And he said, well, you when you asked, you asked me if I'd had any prior felonies, and I thought it was only relevant for the state of Virginia. So it turned out that unfortunately he, he did have some prior felonies. Um, they were not in the state of Virginia, but still had him, and we still, hey, we still would have taken it, whether or not he'd had him. But um, <laughs> that one was just a little. We were like, wow, okay, so it all depends on the question you ask. Yes, so you know, now we have to make sure that we say any felonies doesn't matter where, where it happened, anything. Carol, well, I have one. Um, it's I call it the split the dog. Um, uh, <laughs> funny story, I guess. Uh, but in my area of law, family law, it's usually dealing with uh, uh, divorce and uh, child-related issues, uh, family um, separation, things like that. Well, in this particular case, as part of the divorce process, you have what they call equitable distribution, where you actually divide assets and debts. And assets um, are can be obviously your house, your automobile, your bank accounts, things like that. But per, uh, part of your assets are your personal property. And personal property is anything that you can tangibly touch. Like, say, for instance, all of the furniture and things in your house, your, your bed, your table, so forth. But another part of personal property is your dog. <laughs> and in this particular case... The couple didn't have any children, but they had a dog. And we'll call the dog Fido. <laughs> and the husband loved Fido desperate, uh, intensely, but the wife ended up with Fido. And so the client came to me and asked me if we could divide Fido. <laughs> and, you know, this is one of those when the client asks you something, you stop and think about it first before you answer <laughs> And I said, I hope you don't mean literally, but he, he obviously didn't. He just wanted to have time with Fido, even though he and the Mrs. were separating and divorcing. He still wanted to have time with Fido. So he actually arranged that. He and the Mrs. Uh, arranged that, and they met at a park. And he would take Fido out for a little romp in the grass and, and a walk and and had a good time, but I would imagine after they eventually divorced, that probably stopped, and hopefully he got another dog. But anyway, that was that was the divide the the dog story. So, <laughs> with that story, did you have to take? I assume that one didn't go in front of a judge. No, <laughs> as, as I would imagine, although I can't say this for for the truth of judges, I would imagine they don't even want to hear that, right? Much less have to decide it. They would probably tell you to step outside and decide it yourself. <laughs> In which case, that's what these parties did. Wow. 
Um, what about some of, unfortunately, um, the sad, more distressing stories that you've had to deal with? Well, I really hate to focus on on the part of family law that where you actually come into physical and mental abuse. Uh, that's not every divorce case doesn't always come into that, but if having getting a divorce can be mental abuse. But either way, I try not to dwell on that, and I certainly don't have any stories that that um, come to mind right now that I'd like to share. But one in particular that I do think about that is um, some time ago um, we had a client that um, had gone through the whole divorce process, gone to trial. Um, the judge ruled in our client's favor. There was just It was just a great outcome. It was one of those, like, you're really excited. And I talked to the client afterwards, and I was very excited because it was a very good outcome. And I, I thought that the client would be happy as well. And her response to me was, but I'm divorcing the person I love. Oh. And that was that was yeah. difficult because you know you just don't think about that. And every time I call a client or I send them something, letting them know that their final decree has been entered, I always think about that one person when when I was excited to give them the good news that right. they're finally divorced, and then they, you know, something like that. So, but luckily, I don't have I don't have many sad stories to convey. That is good. Yeah. How about you? Um, I, in personal injury, you're dealing with injured people every day. Um, and those people are dealing with hardships, things that they never thought about before, that they never thought would happen. Just as I think that caller, Rocky, said his, his daughter-in-law and son had never been in this before. They didn't know what to do. They're injured. They don't know what to do. And, um, you know, each case has its unfortunately sad aspects dealing with people with injuries who sometimes are can be disabled for life or can't go back to the job that they love, um, things like that. And it's just, it, it's sad for the client. You feel bad, you feel really bad for them um, and want to help them. So I, th- I think, you know, as far as <clears throat> any particularly sad story, <clears throat> excuse me, sad stories, it's, it, it can be, it can be sad just dealing with and listening to these clients that are dealing with things that people take for granted every day. Um, and that's why it's one of the, I feel it's one of the more important parts of my job as a paralegal is to be there to listen to them and offer support, um, you know, any way I can. Because they admit whether it's in family law or personal injury, people are going through something that is and can be probably is uh, very traumatic right. to them. yeah. Whether in my case it's going through a divorce or fighting with the next spouse or whatever the case may be, and yours is is an injury. Right. I mean, you know, someone who could be that they they love to ski, and because of this injury, now they have hardware, and so skiing is not something that, you know, recommend. That's that's hard for them, um, you know, to deal with that, okay, for the rest of my life, I I won't be able to do this, or I, I can't do this. You know, there's definitely... Definitely sad, distressing aspects, but we try to give our clients um, the best outcome we can and, um, you know, give them the best help that we can with their situations. 
Um, Carol, so how would you compare being a lawyer versus being a paralegal? All right. First, I would say I do not practice law, so I'm not a lawyer. But um, obviously, there are um, uh, the biggest difference is that there are things a paralegal can't, which we've discussed in this program already. Um, a paralegal can you can become a paralegal without being licensed. You you do not get a license as a paralegal, what, whereas an attorney would. Um, you don't have to take the bar. You don't have to take the bar. Um, <laughs> The, you actually, as a paralegal, are performing uh, substantive work that an attorney would perform if you were not there. Right. The good news is, is that your hourly rate for the client is much cheaper. Um, attorney could charge you 450 Paralegal could be 100 150 So big savings. Uh, but at the same time, you have some with... Uh, if you cannot reach an attorney, the attorney is in trial or just unavailable, you have a paralegal to, to go to and, and get answers. Right. Not advice, but get answers. Right. And um, you have an attorney that supervises you so that the attorney knows the work that you're doing and makes sure that you do it appropriately and ethically. So uh, it, there's a, a lot of big differences, but that's just a touch on on a few of them. Right. And so like Carol was saying, while well, we made draft pleadings, um, things substantive, sub, excuse me, substantive legal work that other attorneys would do, the attorneys then, they review it. Mm -hmm. um, they remain responsible for the legal work delegated to the paralegals. Um, so, you know, while we may know, okay, this this motion's correct. I've done it before. The attorney still has to sign off on it. Correct. A paralegal cannot sign a pleading. No. Just like they cannot give legal advice. <laughs> um, Carol, how about one more question for you? Um, if a young person was considering becoming a paralegal, what advice would you give them in order to become one? Well, I would start out by saying that uh, my career as a paralegal, which has been uh, fairly lengthy, has been interesting and rewarding. I like being a paralegal. Um, a lot of people may not remember the show Perry Mason, which was on eons ago, but he had a, I would like to say she was a paralegal, but she was everything in the office, <laughs> Della Street. And I admired the fact that Della Street knew everything that was going on, and she was she was the backbone of that legal practice. And Perry Mason was just there, uh, being an attorney. Uh, but either way, that was uh, that was somebody that inspired me, and I feel like that I've done what what Della Street has done. And and I think that you have to go inside of yourself and decide what you what you like to do. Uh, most important, what, what your characteristics are, most important as far as in the, being in the legal field is you have to be have really good organizational skills because as you mentioned, Katie, we have to work with the client a lot with um, coordinating, uh, getting documents and information together. Uh, you need to be willing to work with uh, multitasking. Mm -hmm. 
to work with detailed work where you really get into a document and try to figure out what needs to be done and how to get it accomplished. Um, you have to have good communication skills, mm, oral definitely. and written, because you're you're drafting a lot of the pleadings and the attorney has got to look at it and it doesn't help him or her if you write uh, don't write very well, not to mention speak well, but don't <laughs> write very well, and the attorney has to basically rewrite for you. But there are a lot of things that would make you a better paralegal as far as uh, those things. Um, communicating with your client is very important. You have to have, I think, in my opinion, a respect for the law and understand yeah. the responsibilities to abide by the law. Um, I don't think your motivation for being a paralegal should be the money because it can really run the gambit depending on whether you start with a small law firm and right. work your way right. up um, or whether uh, – so there's no way to tell you what that – Whoops. What that um, – what your – uh, would be paid, and, and that certainly will increase over time. Um, but more importantly, I think you should look into paralegal programs with the various schools around the area, and you can see what what uh, what program what um, courses they offer, and and look into that and see whether it looks like something that you would be interested, and in, whether it fits you and your personality, and what you want your career to be, because this should be. The career and not just necessarily right. a, a stepping stone. Another uh, good website, too, that has information on, um, you know, a lot of the topics we've covered today is um, uh, NALA. It's the National Association, Association of Legal, of Legal Assistance. Assistance. Um So th they kind of have uh, general information about, about the field of being a paralegal and, and, you know, ways to reach out find jobs um, in your area. So what about the money? I think we talked about that. We're almost out of time, just about running out of time. But um, Carol, what is the money? How much does a real experienced paralegal make? <laughs> Which, um, well, you know, I, can't, I would like to say it's six figures, but I don't <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. I have I have a suggestion to anyone is to go onto the website of Indeed I N D E E D dot com, and you can see uh, look up paralegals and a lot of the job offerings do have salary ranges in there. All right. Well, this has been raising the bar. Um, Talk law. Thank you for joining in with us today, and uh, we will see you next week. <laughs>